1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
0: Hello and welcome to The Hedgehog and the Fox, the new podcast that seeks out answers to questions large and small. My name is George Miller, and this program is one from the Archive, a conversation I had back in 2010 – with Dwayne of Spanish translators, Edith Grossman, in which she makes the case for taking translation and translators seriously.
2: We are not the same as the original author, but we are certainly people not to be pushed aside because the author's work would not exist in English without us.
0: I spoke to Edith shortly after she brought out a book with Yale University Press called Why Translation Matters. It's not a book about theory, but the real enrichment that translation can bring to any culture. Yet the figures for percentages of books published in English, which are translations, remain stubbornly low, perhaps as low as 1.5%. Compare that to Germany, France and Italy. The figures there are between 12 and 20%. Yes, there are translated authors who break through and become bestsellers in English. Knausgaard, Ferranti, Murakami are recent examples. But the fact remains, if you're an author who writes in a language other than English, your odds of getting translated into English are not good. When I spoke to Edith on the phone in 2010, I began by playing devil's advocate. Perhaps with so many vibrant English language literatures from all around the world, we native speakers of English have less need of translation, to have our perspectives broadened.
2: I believe that it matters because the reluctance of publishers to bring translated, contemporary translated work to the public is depriving us of an entire world of literature that we don't know anything about. There are books written in languages that we don't know, out of Asia, out of Africa, out of the Middle East, out of Eastern Europe. And um, why should we not know about these books, especially the books that are cutting edge in their own culture? I won't even go into the importance of translating classical works. Imagine not being able to read Homer. Imagine not being able to read Dante. Imagine not being able to read Cervantes. So, of course, English is very rich, and English is clearly the dominant language in the world today, but despite the wealth of writing that we have in our language, there are many, many other languages and many, many other cultures producing work that's valuable.
1: I mean, you make the point that that really the Renaissance was in part built, or one could even say in large measure built through the practice of translation, the transmission of text, the exchange of text. But it, the present situation seems as though English language literature has sort of grown beyond it or feels that it's kind of grown beyond the need for translation in, in order to fertilize in the way that you, you describe in the past.
2: Well, I wouldn't hold on to that for too long because at, at times change very quickly. And uh, not too long ago, French was the dominant language and uh, certainly Latin was a dominant language for many, many centuries. I don't know which language will dominate next, perhaps Chinese. Um, So we can't assume that the current situation is permanent.
1: Do you think part of the problem is an underlying misprision of what translation actually is? That's something which you come back to in the book again and again, that it's difficult to explain what it is, but the, the, the wider reading public probably has a, or reviewers in particular, probably have a rather shaky knowledge of what actually is involved in translating a text from one language to another.
2: I, I believe you're right. I think most people believe it's what I call the tracing paper. You know that you know two languages and you hook up words directly, so yes. that it's a translation of words rather than of tonalities and concepts. And as I point out in my book, and, and you as a translator, I believe would agree with me, you can't translate words because languages are different. You can, I believe you can translate just about anything, but not by going word by word.
1: Mm. Yeah, you summed that up very nicely in the book. I, I wrote the quotation down. You said, the meaning of a passage can almost always be rendered in a second language, but its words, taken as separate entities, almost never can. And I thought that, that, sort, of, that sort of got across exactly, you know, bo- both the impossibility at one level, but the entire possibility at another.
2: I believe that very strongly. I, I believe that translators are rewriters of a book. And um, um, so, uh, you know, people have asked, "Am I reading the author, or am I reading the translator?" And my first response is, "You're reading the translator, of course."
1: Well, again, that's another
2: the original author.
1: yes. Another quote that I really like was from Gregory Rabassa when he was asked if he had enough Spanish to undertake a translation of Marquez's Hundred Years of Solitude. He said that that's not the question. The question is whether I know enough English. And I think that is that is something which absolutely resonated with me as a translator. But I suspect a lot of people would be completely baffled by that. I mean, can you explain what he meant by it?
2: I'll try to. Uh, <laughs> uh, Greg Rabassa is an extremely intelligent and very witty man. Um, and he's worth quoting throughout. Whatever he says is worth <laughs> quoting at least three times. What he's saying, I think, is that what a translator does is hear the original and recreate it in English. And in order to pick up intention and context and tonalities in second language, you have to know that second language very, very well. You have to know what is cliched, you have to understand the distinct levels of diction, you have to know the difference between elegant language and street language and be able to match that up in a way with what's going on in the original. And if you're shaky in, let's say English, of course you can translate into any language, but if you're shaky in English your translation will
1: reveal that. That kind of brings us to the problem of, re- of reviewing translations, which you talk about in the book. And it irks you when a translator is praised as being able or, or smooth or <laughs> seamless.
2: Yeah, I and know. It, it, it does irk me. It does irk me.
1: Tell me why that is, because again, some people may say, well, you know, if, if the translation is not drawing attention to itself, whatever that means, then surely that's a translation um, which is, is successful.
2: Well, then perhaps the reviewer has to say that. The reviewers, I think, as you were indicating just a minute ago, most people don't think about translation and don't really have a clear notion of what goes on as a translator brings text over from one language to another. And I don't think most reviewers have any clearer idea than the general public. And so they are faced with the obligation of reviewing a novel Most publications require them to indicate that it is a translation and to say something about the translation. And so the easiest thing to say is, this is dreadful or this is very nice. But of course, they're not going to say this is dreadful or this is very nice. They'll say ably or smoothly or clumsily. Or some single adverb <laughs> to uh, to cover mm. the entire work of the translator uh, that's why it irks me now I don't know what course of study reviewers should take in order to learn more about mm. translator uh, translation but I'd be happy to talk to all of them at
1: one point or another, <laughs> one by one. And I'm take... sure
2: you would too.
1: Yes. Well, I find I find either translations don't my, my translations don't get mentioned at all, so it is it is entirely as though it was the original work of the original author, okay. or else um, things like. If I've used a colloquialism, I've had that picked up on because, well, that colloquialism belongs to the English language, so surely there, there can't, you know, there can't be an equivalent in French. And it, it, so, oh, at, 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 at points where, at points where the um, the translation seems to, in, in inverted commas, draw attention to itself, then then I've been sort of castigated for that.
2: Yeah. Well, I know. I know. I. It seems to me that our job as translators is to give the English language reader a sense of what's going on in the original. That means if it is awkward and difficult in the original then we are obliged to make the English awkward and difficult mm. even though we get the heat for it yeah. and not the original author.
0: <laughs> yeah. And
2: uh, if it is filled with slang Obscenities, colloquialisms. Then our English has to be filled with flying obscenities, and colloquialisms. It's not our job to be the censor.
1: Yes, it's, it's as though it's as though the translator is expected to be some kind of purifying filter, isn't it? Sometimes uh, I feel right.
2: I know we're supposed to be the Victorian schoolmaster <laughs> who, who checks everything and makes sure that it's uh, decent.
1: Now, lest, lest we fall into complaining about our lot, let me... Okay, let me, I, I told you translators
2: <laughs> talk about translation all the time. Absolutely.
1: Let me, <laughs> let me ask you, when you encounter a translation which has come from a language which you don't know, do you read it differently from a work which has been written originally in English? Or how do you, how do you evaluate a book which is a translation?
2: I try very hard to read the translation as if it had originally been written in English. Although I sometimes, I sometimes do find myself saying, "Uh oh, mm. <laughs> that is a terrible goof. That mm. doesn't read well to me." But I, of course, I do that with books in English too. Yeah. When yeah. I say that doesn't work, you know that that's, that's jumping off the page at me. So I, I do make a huge effort to read translations of languages I don't know, to read them with the same eye and the same critical sense that I bring to English language books.
1: Well, I mean, another remark which really resonated with me talking about, you know, the, the kind of reading which translators have to do is that translation is really the, the, the deepest form of reading that one can engage in because even, I mean, I've, I've found reading reading books in, in English that I, my eye skips over things. But when you're translating, you really have to slow right down and attend to every single little nuance, as you were saying.
2: Yeah, uh, it, you can't skip over anything when you translate. Every syllable resonates, if for no, no other reason than to help you create the rhythm of the sentence in English. So, yeah, I mean, we, we know the book better than anyone else, including the author, I yes. say. <laughs> you know, we are more familiar with what's going on. and um, Because there's no other way to really delve into what's happening in the original so that you can bring it into English, unless you do really intense and close reading. And that, I think, translators do more than anyone else. Mm.
1: Well, everything, everything is a problem or everything is a question for which you have to find a solution, isn't it? Uh, yeah,
2: especially with a language like English, I must say, that is a huge language. It's a very impure language. We take words, vocabulary from every, every part of the world. And so we have a vast number of synonyms <laughs> for mm. words that don't have synonyms in other languages mm. quite often. So choosing the one in English that really matches the intention of the original is, uh, is a difficult job mm. sometimes.
1: And a, a potentially endless job because you can change it to one thing in the morning and then you can go back in the afternoon and change it to something different again or back to where you started, can't you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I when I've taught translation from, from time to time, I tell my students, think of the number of ways you can talk about the person who teaches something. A person can be a teacher, an instructor, a professor, a guru, a... Uh, All right, I've run out of words, but there are at least four or five more. And um, that is an enormous wealth of nuance in these words, and we have to choose which one the author would have chosen if the author were writing in English.
1: Which I suppose is impossible, isn't it? Or or at least it's a a subjective judgment, isn't it? We have to exercise our judgment, but it it ultimately comes down to, to our own... View of what the author would have chosen had they been speaking English, which is why you can have multiple translations. I think again that baffles some people. You know, if there is a translation, then why, why come back, why revisit a classic, and why produce multiple versions of it? But it's because there is no right answer, is there? Uh,
2: yeah, I think there are writer answers.
1: Yes, yes. I think
2: there are more correct answers. Yes. But um, the translator is not invisible. The translator. Is the interpreter of the work. And so how we view the original and the decisions we make in English color the entire text. And, and as you say, that's why books can have multiple translations. I, you know, when, when I translated Don Quixote, somebody at the publisher said, you know, there have been 20, at least 20 translations into English. And I said, well, okay, I'm not going to read any of them. And I didn't. So I know that my translation is different from other translations because I'm different from other translators. And in another 30 years, somebody else is going to translate Don Quixote, and that translation will be different from mine.
1: I wanted to ask you about that. I'm I'm sure you've spoken about it many times before Edith, but if you, if you'll forgive me, I really wanted to hear you talk a little bit about the pleasures and the the, the pains of of translating <laughs> such a, such a monument of of world literature. Just tell me what it was like day to day maybe. That would be a good way to approach it. What, what was it actually like getting up in the morning and and having a a chapter before you?
2: Well, it 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 was as you say pleasurable and painful. It, the pleasures were the fact that the book is so wonderful, a book, and that Cervantes writes an absolutely stunning Spanish. And so the pleasure of digging into that language was huge. And on the days when it worked, when I felt that I had really captured his intention and that I had produced the best translation I could produce, the elation was just enormous. Mm. It was huge. Then, of course, the painful part was there were days when I thought I will spend my life trying to translate (laughs) this damn paragraph, and I am never, Mm. never going to translate it. Mm. And then I thought of all the academics and all the professors and all the pedagogues Mm. who would jump on my translation and tear it to shreds. And I, uh, these are the people that Gregory Robasa calls Professor Horrendo. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> these were this. I had to put them out of my mind, but I, uh, I did have nightmares about what the response would be.
1: But the, the translation was 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 rapturously received and has become a a real landmark, I think, in in the history of of, tr- of translation and the history of, of that book.
2: Well, I was I was thrilled with the reaction. Um, I know that um, somebody at the publisher called me just at Christmas. The book had been out about a month or or two and said, it's number eight on Amazon. I Hmm. said, what? Are you kidding me? It can't be true. But it was. You know, it did very well. And people grabbed it up. um, I mean, in part because it's a nice coffee table book. But I think many people were actually reading it.
1: Mm. And you've you've become that that oxymoronic moronic thing, a, a famous translator, really, haven't you, in the in, in the literary world?
2: Uh, well, I suppose I have. Hmm. I suppose I have. What, I what try not to think of <laughs> that way.
1: What, let me let me ask you just a couple more things, Edith. Um, what do you think the, the the proper status of the translator is? We've talked about how you know we we feel they have a rather low status in the in the literary world. What do you think? What do you think the, the proper due that is um, that should be accorded to translators? In, in our culture is. I'm struck by the fact that in other European countries I visit, quite often writers I meet are themselves translators and there's, there's much more of a sort of intertwining of the career of being a writer and a translator, whereas in the anglophone world my impression is that's less the case and, and, and maybe that contributes to um, translators being seen as, as very definitely second-class citizens in the, in the Republic of Letters.
2: Um. Yeah, although uh, I think you're right, although there are some huge English language writers who have been translators. I mean, Ezra Pound is the first who yeah. comes to mind, yeah. uh, and there are other people in English, but that's true. There, there perhaps is more of a crossover in other uh, cultures than there is in ours. How would I like translators to be treated? We are not the same as the original author. But we are certainly people not to be pushed aside because the author's work would not exist in English without us. So I believe that there is, this sounds like the mafia and I don't mean it, but there's a certain amount of respect that uh, should be given us. And the respect would... Take this form. Uh, first of all, our names have to appear in legible print on the cover of the book, uh, which is something publishers are astonishingly resistant to. Uh, secondly, there sh- our, our names should appear in all the advertising uh, as well as the title page of the book. Third, uh, the fees we receive should be somewhere above starvation wages. Mm. And uh, we're not going to make the million-dollar advances that that best-selling novelists earn. but certainly we should be treated as people whose living is made by translating, because not all of us, Moonlight, some of us do, in fact, earn our living as translators, like myself, for example. Those kinds of things I would love to see yes. whether I expect them to happen or not is another <laughs> is another issue. But this is what I would uh, be very happy to see.
1: Talking of respect, I'm imagining horses' heads turning up in some reviewer's bed, Yeah, right. <laughs> or,
2: or lying with the sleeping with the fishes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Line. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, but
2: uh, um, no matter what the Hollywood has done, the word yeah. is not a bad word. no, and, no absolutely.
1: Uh, no, no, I'm I'm just teasing. But let, let me ask you a final question. Having having tackled Cervantes um, and and other high points of, of Hispanic Spanish literature, are, are there are there still major works that you want to test yourself against?
2: Well, I just have tested myself. Um, Penguin will be publishing my translation of Gongora Soledades. Uh, Congora was a um, a poet of the 17th century, who I think wrote the most difficult poetry that has ever been written in any language. And he has a poem called The Soledades, The Solitude, Mm. which is a work that has obsessed me since I was a student, since Mm. I was in graduate school. And um, I had a Guggenheim last year and was able to use a translation of this poem as my project and then present it to penguins. The test of translating this poem, it's about 2,000 lines, mm. this poem, writing the footnotes for the poem, because it absolutely has to have footnotes. Even Spanish-speaking people don't read it without a prose translation. You know, it's, it's like a key to Finnegan's Wake.
1: Right, yeah. You, you
2: know and writing an introduction for it, is about all the testing I can take for now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I have to move on to something a little less demanding. Less
1: less testing. uh,
2: But I I am hoping uh, that book will be out next year. I'm longing to see it in print.
0: I was talking to Edith Grossman. Her book, Why Translation Matters, is published by Yale University Press. Yale also publishes Edith's translation of Cervantes' Exemplary Novels. The translation of Góngora's Solitudes that she mentioned is in Penguin Classics, and her Don Quixote is a Harper perennial in the US and a vintage classic in the UK. She is, of course, the translator of many other works of Spanish literature, all of which will be easy to find online. If you've enjoyed this programme, do visit thehedgehogandthefox.com for news of forthcoming and archive interviews in the series. You can subscribe to the programme on iTunes, where you can also catch up on any interviews you've missed, and, if you feel so inclined, even leave a review. You'll also find the programme on SoundCloud and Stitcher. In 2016, Gregory Rabassa, the translator Edith mentioned in our conversation, died at the age of 94. I thought that, in tribute to him, I would end today with the words of Gabriel Garcia Marquez in a Paris Review interview. A good translation is always a recreation in another language that's why I have such great admiration for gregory rabassa i think that my works have been completely recreated in english there are parts of the book which are very difficult to follow literally the impression one gets is that the translator read the book and then rewrote it from his recollections that's why i have such admiration for translators they are intuitive rather than intellectual Until next time, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye. Imagine the
2: softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.